Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The New York Times reports 14 people have died from coronavirus in the United States, and at least 212 people have the illness in 18 states. So far, Connecticut has no confirmed cases. But is it just a matter of time? Cases have been reported in the states that surround us, including New York State, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Today, where we live, we want to help answer your questions about coronavirus. Medical doctors will join us to talk about the state's efforts to prevent a coronavirus outbreak here. Now, if you fall ill, do you know what symptoms to watch for and what to do? Here's the number to call with your questions, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live, where you can also add your question for our panelists. Now, coming up, we learn how hospitals in Connecticut are preparing. And later, we find out how researchers are working to identify a coronavirus vaccine. First, I want to welcome my first guest to the show. Dr. Ajay Kumar is Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. That includes Hartford Hospital, the Hospital of Special of, of Central Connecticut, Mid-State Medical Center, Wyndham Hospital, Bacchus Hospital, and St. Vincent's in Bridgeport. Uh, Ajay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. I mentioned all of these hospitals so our listeners know that Hartford HealthCare really covers much of the state of Connecticut. I also wanted to let our listeners know that we did reach out to the State Department of Public Health to come on to today's show to help answer your questions. We were told no one was available. So uh, again, Dr. Ajay Kumar, we're happy that you're here to help our listeners understand uh, what's happening with coronavirus and what they should know uh, to prevent uh, this uh, potential outbreak in our state. Uh, first off, to remind our listeners, when we hear about coronavirus, it started in China. Do we know where? So thank you, Lucy. Um, I appreciate um, um, your, your, your show and talking about a very important issue, the COVID-19, as we call this virus, started in Hubei province in China. And the, 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 it began from animal source. And what we understand so far that the, it was an animal virus which uh, made it its way to the humans. It's called a spillover event. And, and since then, uh, it has been spreading across the, across the globe. I mentioned uh, the um, people that have uh, uh, have the illness in Connecticut. Or, I'm not sorry, rather the state, I should say, no confirmed illnesses <laughs> in Connecticut. Uh, but uh, most of the people that have fallen sick from coronavirus in China. Yeah, that's true, actually. So uh, we started seeing in you know, late December and early January, the spread began in Hubei province and it st- started spreading in China. And obviously, um, it, it is a it's a significant concern within a country of the size and volume and population has this person to person contact occurring and, and we started noticing this, the the movement of this China this uh, this virus out of the country from China and started affecting some of the other countries um, and and. In, we started preparing um, in January in Hartford Healthcare in the early January. Started looking into epidemiologically what is going on in the rest of the world. We'd normally do that if any of those things are happening anywhere in the country, and started preparing ourselves and um, keeping an eye on the spread at the time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I appreciate you mentioning about the Hartford HealthCare's uh, um, seven medical uh, hospitals at the moment. But um, for the listeners, we are present in almost 180 towns in the state of Connecticut. We are in 376 access points. Um, so we are connected to the community in multiple different ways through our mm-hmm. home care, through our behavioral health and acute facility, primary care, uh, urgent care. So um, it, it was important for us uh, to make sure that we start preparation really early. And, um, and uh, what we, does that I mean, mean when you say preparation? Thank so you. The outbreak started in China, I believe, in December. Yeah. You're talking about preparing starting in January. And so what are healthcare professionals doing to prepare? What do you mean by that? So um, we, we, how we start preparing that um, we start looking at the, the, the behavior of this virus, how it's spreading, and what impact it may have if the scenario comes up when it's in our doorstep. Um, so in January, I started leading a, uh, our system-wide uh, emergency preparation, preparation group. And uh, we start looking into our uh, access point where the patients might interact in any part of our uh, organization, have the appropriate screening criteria. We're looking at the travelers who may come from China or Japan or South Korea or Italy or, mm-hmm. uh, um, or Iran. Um, and appropriate direct or indirect contact history has been obtained. Uh, symptoms, if the patients have, uh, we want to identify. What kind of symptoms should our listeners be watching for? Yeah, so um, coronavirus generally presents like any other flu illness. Uh, it will present with uh, fever or um, um, a cough or shortness of breath. Now, very small percentage of the patient may have some diarrhea, but very small. And generally, though, about 92 to 98% of the patients would have some fever. And about 80, 85% patients would have some sort of a cough going on at the same time. Is it problematic that we're seeing coronavirus spreading while the U.S. is dealing with flu season? Because those symptoms seem to mimic what people experience when they have the flu. Yeah, um, and that's a great point, actually. It does create a fair amount of confusion. Um, now, um, fortunately, the flu is on decline at this time. Our seasonal flu, which we are seeing, um, is, 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 is going down the numbers. Uh, but because the COVID-19 or coronavirus symptoms are so similar to flu, it is, it's, it's sometimes difficult for individuals or the patients or the community members to know what they're dealing with. And I think um, it's, it's important to remind that um, we are looking at um, travel uh, history, which is critical in this process here, uh, your pattern of travel. Um, obviously, the symptoms, if you are in direct contact um, for a prolonged period with anybody who may have traveled or has um, a possible coronavirus illness. Um, so these are the pointers we take mm-hmm. as a clinicians to make sure that we, um, we identify the right mm-hmm. uh, person of interest. I mentioned the flu because for those of us, I got the flu. Three out of four of my family members got the flu this season. Uh, When we started to have symptoms, you can go to your doctor. They give you a flu test and they tell you if you have the flu or not. If someone um, is feeling ill, is the first thing that a healthcare professional is going to do if they have the fever, uh, other symptoms, that they're going to test for flu first? And then if it's negative, what then, Dr. Kumar? So common things common. Uh, that's what we believe in medicine. Generally, uh, most people who would call us with symptoms like that at this time in state of Connecticut will have flu or some other viral illness, which might be um, creating those or causing those symptoms here. 
um, if, if anybody's feeling unwell um, and has some symptoms, the best thing at the moment to contact your primary care provider. And obviously, if you're high risk in the sense that you've traveled um, or you have exposure, possible exposure to somebody who may have a coronavirus, it's best to call the provider and talk or the clinician and talk to them. This is my travel history. This is what I've been um, dealing with that lately. And then they would advise the next step, whatever that might be. And I'm, I can elaborate if you like. And why is that the process versus just showing up at an urgent care clinic or a hospital emergency room? Yeah. So, you know, we, we call this as, a, as much as possible to contain um, the, the, the illness at this time rather than mitigate. And we are in the United States, we moved from containment to the mitigation strategy in some area. We're fortunate in Connecticut so far. We have not identified any case. Uh, but it's important for patients actually who may have symptoms and possibly they are person of interest who actually might have an exposure. If they show up in a healthcare facility of any other place, um, there is a potential they might expose the healthcare workers as well. Um, and because most of the symptoms or most of the disease is mild, uh, it could be managed uh, with home uh, management and rest and fluid and other things at this time. We've Before I take some calls, again, you can join in with a question, 888-720-9677. Dr. Ajay Kumar, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare, in studio with me. Again, uh, for people who are feeling ill, uh, for those people who feel like they need to stay at home, we've been hearing a lot about self-quarantining. Mm-hmm. What is the recommended amount of time to stay separated from uh, your workplace and even maybe your family? Family members. Yeah. So uh, I want to take a step back, and Lucy, I want to make sure the listeners know there's really no cause to panic at this time. It's, it's, it's a time for caution. It's time to be, um, to be prepared and to have the knowledge. Um, so folks actually should visit CDC websites and other um, uh, information coming out. Or Heart for Healthcare website, we have mm-hmm. a, a, f- a tremendous amount of information, especially for the listeners, to understand the difference between flu and um, uh, coronavirus and what precautions they can take. So our website has been updated with the latest information. Now, now if, if the if the individuals are feeling that they uh, they, they need to be uh, home uh, and what does the quarantine look like, it is basically for 14 days we're recommending at the moment, the incubation period or the time from somebody gets exposed to by the time the symptoms has is anywhere from 2 to 14 days of coronavirus illness. So the experts are recommending the 14 days you need to be home and try to not expose anybody else if you have those symptoms. Um, uh, it does have an impact. It has an impact on the family. It has an impact on the workplace. Um, and every single um, um, uh, business is dealing differently to a certain extent on that part. Yeah. And we'll be talking about how employers should be handling, again, these concerns about coronavirus, uh, especially in our country. I want to take some listener calls now. You can join, too, with a question about coronavirus. You can tell us how you're preparing the number 888-720-9677. Ray is calling from Cromwell. Ray, what's your question? Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I appreciate all the information that you are uh, informing us about. I do have one question. I have not heard this discussed very often. How long does the virus live on surfaces if someone was to cough, sneeze, or transfer it to a surface? Uh, I understand it's important to clean them with a water bleach solution of some kind, but how often do I need to do that? Mm, Thank you. Good question. Ray, thank you for asking this question. Um, so as you know, the, we are still learning about this virus. This is a, uh, a very new virus we have identified in our human um, 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 uh, exposure at this time. 
And uh, we do not know exactly how long uh, this uh, stays on the surfaces. Uh, right now, the recommendation would be that uh, we clean with alcohol-based rubs. Um, and, and we want to make sure in the public place especially you have um, some sort of hand sanitizer with you to uh, use frequently. At this time, I'll tell the listeners the hand hygiene, uh, washing your hands for 20 seconds um, and uh, using alcohol-based rubs are the best precautions you can have. But still, we are learning about this virus, and there's more information will come um, and it will become available over the time. Mm. Something that uh, a family member noticed uh, in my household when uh, he went to the store, a lot of these wipes, the Clorox wipes, the sanitizers, the shelves have been cleared off. And so if you go to the store and they're not there, uh, again, Soap and water, but how? When you say twenty seconds, uh, what is the the tip that you sing the al- the alphabet twice in your head yeah. while you're washing your hands? Well, yeah, you can sing Itsy Bitsy t- uh, Spider twice, uh, or a Happy Birthday song twice. Actually, in your in your in your in your head. Um, However, 20 seconds, make sure that all um, the both uh, aspects of your both frontal and the back part of your hand is properly washed. You avoid contact with your face as well as much as possible if you are touching any surface you, which is in public use. And I know it's easy to say not to touch your face, but um, it, it's, it's a learned skill, and I advise listeners to really think about it uh, as best they can. Uh, Linda is calling from Bethany. Linda, you're on the show. What's your question? My question is, what are your recommendations for organizations planning to hold large-scale events? Um, it's a great question. So we have noticed that the significant number of organizations have already canceled or are planning to cancel their events. Um, uh, some of the sports events have been canceled. Um, I know there was a uh, major tech conference uh, and um, uh, was canceled, um, which was supposed to happen in a few days. Um, our recommendation at, at the moment is, first of all, not to panic in the organization in the United States. We still have, in majority of the states, are dealing really well, and I think um, we are, are, we're doing very well with that part at this time. But still, it's it's good to avoid the large gatherings where you can have a travel-related exposures, and especially if the travel screening and symptom control is not very well managed on that part here. So the organizers organizers are not unable to do that. Then my recommendation to be cautious about holding such large events. Uh, earlier, Dr. Kumar, we mentioned uh, what to do if someone is feeling ill. You suggest first calling a doctor. Don't just show up at a hospital or urgent care. And from there, if you are feeling worse, you will get advice on what to do next. Uh, at a hospital, someone can meet you with appropriate gear uh, in terms of face mask or gloves. Or Tell us about that. Yeah. So if, if our prim- uh, initial screening um, um, classifies individuals with a high risk based on travel and exposure history, then uh, g- uh, generally um, a hospital emergency room or a, um, a center would be notified that the individual is coming with possible exposure to COVID-19. And at that time, the hospital will take precautions. For example, in a healthcare facility, you will be guarded to a different triage area where um, you would be met by somebody wearing a protective gear uh, and they would be managed appropriately at that time here. And if if the further history and there's no obvious any other reason for illness, we would consider the testing those individuals uh, who may have an exposure to COVID-19. 
Again, we're going to take uh, listener calls, the number 888-720-9677 as we talk about coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Ajay Kumar is here, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare, to help answer uh, your questions. Let's talk a little bit more about testing because sure. originally, I believe, as you said, this situation, the news continues to change, the information continues to change. Uh, late last week, the state announced that they had up to 500 tests uh, for coronavirus. Uh, just last night, Governor Ned Lamont writing to the federal CDCs asking for more tests. We are a pop- state with a population of three and a half million. 500 tests isn't going to cut it. In terms of when you, a healthcare prof- professional, decide when someone should be tested for coronavirus, what is the process? Are those tests in-house at a Hartford hosp- healthcare hospital, or do you have to contact the state and then wait for the state to give you the test? Thank you, Lucy. Great question. I think this, this will provide a lot of clarity to listeners. Right now, um, the state is um, um, is conducting the test at this time. H- however, there is a good news as well on the horizon. Um, we we have uh, been notified some of the private labs, um, like Quest, would actually have a capability of doing testing as well, which would be a big relief for our state. Um, at the same time, um, um, there is a possibility that the healthcare institutions will get an access to the testing as well. I believe Dr. Koh will be joining later on. He'll, he'll talk more about this mm-hmm. um, a, a, in his segment as well. Again, uh, for our listeners, uh, you can call in at 888-720-9677 to, uh, if you have a question about coronavirus. There's also, uh, you can go to ctpublic.org, that's WMPR's website, slash coronavirus, ctpublic.org slash coronavirus for up-to-date information about, again, how state and health officials are working to collaborate on, on how to prevent a potential coronavirus outbreak in our state. Uh, Kelly is calling from West Hartford. Kelly, what's your question for Dr. Kumar? Hi there. Um, I am a pregnant woman, and I'm wondering, um, I work in a healthcare facility similar to the one in Washington that had the outbreak, um, a skilled nursing facility. So I'm wondering if there's any extra precautions that I should take, um, you know, if the virus does come to the building, or, um, you know, would I be just in, you know, saying that I'm not coming to work if the virus is in the building? Uh, uh, thank you for asking this question. So um, I would advise that um, uh, you would take a standard precautions as you normally would take. Uh, we have not seen any spread in Connecticut and healthcare facilities, um, um, as best I know. Um, I would also make sure that standard precautions are in place in your facility where you work. At this time, I would not advise you not to go to work. Um, I think that's that's uh, continue to go to work. Regarding the pregnant woman, um, the, um, as any other individual who has um, immunocompromised or elderly or heart disease or poor diabetics, I think um, they're slightly at higher risk. Um, so at this time, I'll continue to make sure you follow standard precaution. Uh, you should discuss with your facility that what kind of uh, measures they're putting in place to uh, to protect the employees at this time from possible exposure at, um, if that ha- that happens. Bonnie is calling from Durham. Bonnie, you're on the show. What's your question? Um, I'm wondering, I'm a person in my late 70s. I, I have a lung condition and a heart condition, and I'm out in the public a lot. I'm very active. I've also had a flu shot, and I haven't been sick with the flu for decades. If I should come down with some serious symptoms, I don't seem to be a person that would be considered high risk. You know, because I can't say I've had contact with anyone that I know of that's been out of the country. So what would somebody like me do if I should become seriously ill? 
Well, you should always contact um, your physician first, uh, especially, and as you described very rightly, you, you are in that high-risk category for maybe because of other comorbid conditions or the disease you have, uh, unfortunately. So you should always contact. Um, there's a varying degree of illness, whether it's a flu or coronavirus. Most of the people actually have a very mild degree. But if you are feeling shortness of breath and if you're feeling that you're unable to manage yourself um, with the support you have at home, it's always good to call uh, physicians and seek help at that time here. Uh, whether you have an exposure history or not, I think you would. I would advise you to follow the same thing you would do if you have a very severe flu, and I'm glad you didn't have it for a decade. But if you were to have it, I would follow that. Again, Dr. Ajit Kumar is here with us, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. Before we head to break, Dr. Kumar, uh, where we, we've been hearing from Americans, reports across the country that some people have bought I've bought masks and they're wearing masks. Is that really effective against coronavirus? Well, there are two different answers I like to give. One, um, it's not effective. Um, it is uh, used. The mask should, could only be used by uh, if you are, have a high-risk situation, whether you're exposed or managing an individual who is, uh, has a COVID-19. Uh, you do require a fit-tested uh, N95 mask. Um, so that's one comment. The second comment uh, I would make is that um, most of the, the gear um, is made um, uh, outside the United States. So by increasing uh, purchasing of those masks, we are depleting our nation's capability to manage that situation as well. So I would advise uh, not to buy a mask and not to wear a mask unless you are feeling that, uh, first of all, if you're immunocompromised and you have those symptoms which you are concerned about, um, or um, like flu and you don't want to expose anybody else to, or uh, you are working in a facility where you have um, a, a known exposure of COVID-19 or you have a known exposure to person of interest. Um, so I, I hope that helps uh, listeners. And just to clarify, when you say COVID-19, coronavirus causes a disease known as COVID-19? Explain oh, that uh, I'm for us. Sh- and thank you for asking. Uh, Coronavirus uh, or COVID-19, both our names are used interchangeably. Coronavirus is a large family of viruses, and COVID-19 is a specific one we are concerned about at the moment. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest is Dr. Ajit Kumar, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. He's here to help answer your questions about coronavirus. The number 888-720-9677. After the break, we'll continue to take your calls. You can also tweet us or go on Facebook. Just search where we live. And after the break, we're going to talk more about what researchers are doing to develop a vaccine. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There are still a lot of unknowns about coronavirus or COVID-19 that has killed more than 3,300 people, mostly in China. Up to 14 people have died in the United States. So far, no confirmed cases of coronavirus here in Connecticut. But what questions do you have? Here's the number to call, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You can also go to our website, ctpublic.org slash coronavirus for more information. Uh, Dr. Ajay Kumar is here, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. Uh, Dr. Kumar, we're getting a tweet from a listener, Maggie, who writes, I heard that many people don't even show symptoms, especially children. So what should we do about finding those cases? That's a great question. 
you're right. Some people may not show the symptoms as well because the disease could be so mild in those individuals. I think the best um, is to track the travel history. That uh, what, what are the possibility of you being exposed to somebody who had COVID-19? Um, and obviously, the, some of the areas as described by CDC restricted ones, such as China and South Korea and Japan and a few other areas and parts of Italy. Um, so these are the areas I would be cautious about. The travel history becomes very important. I, I do have a good news. Maybe I can try to uh, pass a little bit of good news in this situation. Lucy, we are seeing a decrease in uh, case spread in China and South Korea and Japan. Uh, and obviously, this uh, virus is going to continue to take its course, and uh, we expect to see some more spread in the United States. But the good news, I'd like to take any positive um, we can take at this time. And why is that? As, as the weather changes, or we've been hearing just anecdotally, uh, while people are concerned now, uh, when we think about even the flu virus as the season uh, re- is reduced, uh, the weather changes, but... Should this be something that we're going to still be concerned about in the fall? Yeah. So um, why the decrease is happening in other parts of the country, the first part of the question um, is well, we like to believe it is because of the containment effort they put in place and how they've been able to self-quarantine large number of people and um, uh, other measures they've taken here. We still don't understand about this virus a lot. Uh, a lot. Um, what would happen in seasonally? The best prediction we have at the moment is that we're going to continue to see this COVID-19 or coronavirus as part of our circulation. And it would come back or it may come back in the fall as well. The hope we have is that we would have a better measures. Uh, we would have a better uh, treatment or hopefully a vaccine by, by that time. And Dr. Koh will talk more yeah. about that part. Great transition. Let's bring in Dr. Albert Koh, a professor of epidemiology and medicine and the chair of Department of Epidemiology of Microbial Disease at Yale School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Koh, welcome to our show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much for the invitation. I wanted to mention to our listeners, besides your role at Yale, you're on the WHO R&D Blueprint Working Group on Clinical Trial Design, also a task force member of the WHO R&D Roadmap for Zika Virus. And so from your work with the WHO, how prepared are international uh, public health officials and our public health officials here in this country to fight COVID-19? Well, yes. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Lucy, for that, that question. So, so I think there are two, two separate issues. One is the short term and one, the other is the long term. As Dr. Uh, Kumar um, just spoke, um, you know, the, there have been success stories. Um, you know, I think China, the epidemic has isn't receded. They have actually less than two or 300 cases a day. Um, it ho- hopefully the epidemic in, in Korea is going to be starting to tail off. And much of this is, is really due to trying to these extraordinary measures to try to contain the virus. But I think on the other side is, is that, you know, the, this, this virus is likely going to establish within the population. And so I think we're, we're trying to, at this point, change our strategy from containment to mitigation to get the virus to slow or reduce the impact of the virus, particularly we're out, so that we're out of the flu season. And as you know, many of the hospitals in, in, in Connecticut are filled with patients with flu, you know, which is taxing our, our healthcare um, utilization, you know, in the in the state. So if we can push that virus out to pass that, and then we can also buy some time for for um, uh, vaccines and uh, and therapeutics to come on board. Um, now that's you know going back to your your question. That's kind of the you know the um, 
you know, how prepared we are. Well, you know, the NIH certainly is, has been on top of it for day one, you know, trying to get vaccines and therapeutics uh, through the pipeline, uh, as well as with the FDA. I think we are behind in terms of our capacity, and this was raised earlier in, the, in your conversation with respect to, um, you know, diagnostic testing. That's being ramped up very, very quickly here. So, so we're really in, in, in full mode, and we need to get into full mode in this state in preparing for this, uh, this outbreak. When you mentioned getting into full mode, 500 tests originally sent to Connecticut, and now Governor Lamont asking for more tests from the CDC. Uh, what would be an adequate number of tests uh, from your uh, perspective as, as, a, as a public health expert? Yeah, so so I, I think uh, let me just put some context into that. Uh, you know, what we're seeing in New York is what we call community transmission. So it's transmission of the virus that's not linked to a specific travel history or or contact with the person uh, with coronavirus, and that's very worrisome. And that means that we actually have to spread a wider net rather than a narrower net, and that requires a larger number larger number of cases. I don't have the number exactly of how many, you know, cases, uh, how many tests that we'll, we'll need, but we'll surely need much more than we have right now. You know, on that note, you know, the state is working very hard to set up, you know, they have now established their, the testing in, in their laboratories. Um, as Dr. Kumar said, private laboratories are coming on very quickly on board, uh, specifically Quest right at this moment, but others will be there. And as well, hospitals such as Yale New Haven Hospital are um, rapidly developing their tests, putting them online, getting them approved, you know, under FDA regulations. Before I take more calls, uh, Dr. Ko, uh, we've heard about uh, even the common cold is a type of coronavirus. What do researchers know when you look at prior coronaviruses that's helping, uh, again, inform um, how you go about, uh, again, preventing this coronavirus from spreading? Yeah, so, um, you, know, we're, you know, as the outbreak is rapidly evolving, so is our evidence base, so what we lear- are learning about this, this virus. So you're, you're right, Lucy, this is, this is not the first coronavirus to, to have spread and, and caused disease throughout the world. All of us, you, myself, all uh, the listeners, all of us have been infected with coronaviruses in the past. But these coronaviruses, you know, which were likely came from animals, you know, many decades ago, spilled over to humans and then, you know, spread throughout the world, caused mild illnesses. And many of us get this, you know, at least once every year or every several, several years. This virus or this coronavirus, uh, the, what is called COVID-19, is a much more serious problem. So it, it, it is, tr- you know, transmissible like the common cold virus, but it's associated with a higher death rate among people. And that's what's particularly concerning, concerning about us, uh, you know, f- uh, for this. And, and that's essentially what we know at this moment, that it's highly transmissible, that it, you know, it, it's, you know, comparison to flu, this is a much more deadlier virus. And that's why we're, you know, serious measures need to be taken. You're hearing again, Dr. Albert Coe with the Yale School of Public Health. Also in studio with me, Dr. Ajay Kumar, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. Uh, Richard's calling from Wallingford. Richard, what's your question? Hi. Actually, I have two. Um, if you're unfortunate enough to contract this, um, how long might it be expected to last or would you be infectious to somebody? And the second is, What's the best thing to have in your medicine cabinet? Is it ibuprofen? Is it cough medicine? All right, uh, Richard, thank you for your call. Uh, Dr. Kumar in studio, do you want to answer that? 
Yes, so the, I'll answer the second question. I think plenty of water, um, uh, ibuprofen, um, acetaminophen, or Tylenol. Uh, I think the usual home remedy is to make sure you feel comfortable and good uh, and take enough rest. Um, obviously, if you do find the symptoms are not getting control, always call healthcare providers and seek help. The first question, how long, um, if you're positive, how long remain contagious? Again, it's not well understood at this time here. Um, generally, the course will run for five to seven days, um, and individuals uh, will start feeling better. Um, uh, but again, um, this is such a new illness. We see about 16 to 17% of the patients actually get a very significant or severe illnesses and who require hospital admissions, and the course can really run um, longer, especially when they get secondary infections or bacterial infections. Um, so it's, it's, it depends a lot on the individual um, capabilities or the pre-morbid or pre-existing conditions to a certain extent how the response is um, um, of the recovery. Uh, Mary is calling from Woodbridge. Mary, what's your question? My question is, um, if a person contracts the virus, um, do they develop immunities going forward? And what do other coronaviruses tell us about the behavior of this one? Uh, Mary, great question. I'll let Dr. Albert Coe with Yale School of Public Health take that one. Yes, Mary, that, that is a great question. And, uh, and it, it, it's one question that we're it's kind of perplexing and that we're learning more about. So, you know, if we take the example of the common cold or other coronaviruses, it appears that, uh, you know, after you get like this common cold, usually we'll be develop immunity to it for over two or three years. But that immunity is partial, and it kind of wanes off. So that's why we get the common cold you know, very frequently. There's also four types of common, common cold coronaviruses. So that's why you know, many times we're sick each year during the, the winter season. Uh, what we know about this virus is a little, there's some reports that are a little bit alarming that there have been cases in China and in, in Japan where people have gotten reinfected uh, with the virus, we need to really learn a lot more from those cases and to see also if that's kind of a generalizable uh, finding, whether, you know, people really can get re, uh, reinfected. And that's important when we're thinking about also developing vaccines uh, for this disease, that whether the, the human body can really mount a good response, an effective response, that, you know, immune response that can, you know, prevent infection from this virus. Uh, what can you tell us, Dr. Ko, about vaccine development? Well, I think, you know, the one, one thing that we've learned through, you know, the previous epidemics, uh, um, this is uh, Zika virus most recently, mm-hmm. as well as the Ebola virus, is that we really need to get ahead of the game. And, and the good news is, is that, you know, pl- people, uh, places like NIH, WHO, have created mechanisms to get vaccines really quickly you know, through the pipeline. So actually at this moment, we have uh, one vaccine uh, produced by Moderna that's going into phase one clinical trials. The cautionary note on that is, is that those, those trials are tr- in, the, in humans take a long time or take a, a time that is less than perhaps satisfactory in response to this epidemic. Um, you know, that takes, uh, it takes about a year to test the vaccines to make sure that they're safe that they produce a immune response that's likely able to control the disease. And then what we call these phase three trials, where you have to immunize large numbers, thousands of people, you know, to show that the vaccine is actually effective. 
Again, this is where we live as we look at uh, coronavirus and we take your questions. Dr. Albert Coe is with us by phone, professor of epidemiology and medicine and the chair of the Department of Epidemiology of Microbial Disease at Yale School of Public Health. In studio, Dr. Ajay Kumar, chief clinical officer at Hartford Healthcare. Uh, I did want to ask uh, Dr. Coe, uh, Marianne from West Hartford uh, reached out to us via social media and, and or rather by phone and asked, could the coronavirus mutate into a more deadly form? Well, so at, at this point, um, it doesn't appear that you know, that has been the case. Uh, actually, this virus does mutate, and it's actually the ability to track those mutations that we can also track how it's spreading in our communities and across, across borders. But at this moment, there's no indication that this has turned out to be, you know, as in the movie um, Epidemic or Outbreak, um, the, you know, that this is actually mutating into a more deadly, deadly form. And I think that's, kind of, that's reassuring to us at this moment. Again, uh, again, you can give a call to WMPR's Where We Live at 888-720-9677 with your questions. Uh, Darcy, you're calling from your car. Uh, Darcy, what's your question? Yes, hi. So um, I'm a children's entertainer, and our industry is being hit very, very hard by this. Um, we're getting a lot of cancellations for birthday parties, events, fairs, things like that, because one of the primary services that we offer is face painting, which, of course, is ever popular for kids and families alike. Um, we, of course, as face painters, do adhere to the strictest of sanitary conditions, you know, making sure that we wash our brushes, uh, trying to use one sponge per child. But is there anything additional that we can do within our industry to sort of give parents and families peace of mind that we're doing all we can to disinfect our makeups and still be able to work mm, because good. we are, like I said, noticing a lot of cancellations. Yeah. Darcy, that's a good question. Uh, Dr. Kumar from Hartford HealthCare, we heard earlier we shouldn't be touching our faces. So I what know. do you say to someone like Darcy? Well, Darcy, I, I sympathize with you. Uh, th- these, are, these are difficult times, especially the businesses who are in, in such as your uh, place uh, at this time. I think um, um, it looks like you're, you're following some of the precautions which should be followed. Um, I would advise you uh, to connect with your customers that you're following all the sterile techniques, uh, using the alcohol-based um, uh, cleaning products, and uh, you're making sure that your your individuals actually who are interacting with the kids and the families are um, are um, have gone through the travel screen, have gone through the symptom uh, screening, that they, they don't actually have any shortness of breath, cold or fever or something like that. I think reassuring is the best you can do at this time um, while you maintain um, excellent sterile technique uh, regarding your um, the, the brushes and other things you're using. I would advise, um, if possible, disposable ones rather than reusing the same uh, one uh, with, with different kids because I'm not entirely sure the methodology of cleaning is, uh, is going to take care of the COVID-19 at this time. Uh, we have to head to break, but I, I did want to thank uh, Dr. Albert Coe for joining us from the Yale School of Public Health. We hope to have you on in the future as, uh, again, we continue to follow uh, coronavirus, not only in this country, but around the globe. Dr. Albert Coe, thank you. Thank you, Lucy. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Dr. Ajay Kumar is with us in studio, Chief Clinical Officer of Hartford HealthCare. Up next, how should employers across the state plan for a potential outbreak? What is your boss or manager telling you? Are they putting plans in place now at your workplace? You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're focusing on coronavirus to help answer questions you may have. I just want to do a programming note. On Monday, we're going to have the commissioner of the Department of Children and Families in studio. Uh, This is Vanessa Dorentes uh, to find out what she's been doing uh, leading that state agency. That's coming up Monday. Now, has your employer addressed coronavirus preparation? Are you a small business owner who's concerned about what happens? there's an outbreak in our state, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us by phone now is Mark Seutcher, a human resource counsel for Connecticut Business and Industry Association, or CBIA. He advises companies on a range of workplace issues. He's been helping Connecticut businesses address coronavirus. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, Pleased to be here. Uh, We're hearing again the outbreak starting in China in December. It's now March. Uh, When did you start to hear from businesses who had questions and concerns about coronavirus here? Well, it's kind of like the herd on the horizon. It's dust seen in the distance and then slowly rumbles start. Uh, for for some time now, we've been getting inquiries from companies uh, trying to be a bit proactive and, and, and wondering whether or not there's something they should be doing. And so what are you advising businesses? How should they be handling this, whether it's travel bans uh, and what cleaning preparations within a workplace? Well, as, as the crescendo of inquiries and concern uh, has arisen among uh, companies that, that we speak to, uh, we've we've upped our game in terms of gathering information, monitoring what's going on, and uh, most recently we we've posted on our website a, a guide for employers uh, on how to deal with this, and it covers a, a number of major areas. Uh, and if I if I can just roll through the the, the more significant yes, topical please. segments, uh, just monitoring news and guidance from credible sources, uh, not not being swayed by some of the more fringe commentary that's going on. Um, and, and clearly, you know, we, we hope to be one of those sources, organizations like SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, the CDC, World Health Organization, Connecticut Department of Public Health, OSHA, ready.gov. Those are all very, very science and fact-based uh, sources of solid information for education. Uh, we, we recommend companies should develop a, a What's, what's called a business continuity plan. And, and that's not a new concept. That's something that companies were dealing with uh, over the last decade or two decades, uh, dealing with a variety of SARS, swine flu, H1N1, uh, tornadoes, weather-related events. Those are plans that companies uh, put together with some key elements to uh, anticipate interruptions to operations and then resuming operations once, uh, once the threat subsides. Um, encouraging employees or mandating them that they either stay home or go home if they've come to work ill, planning for possibility of school closings. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of our employees uh, have uh, children, uh, younger children, uh, that can't stay home alone, and if mm-hmm. and if schools are closed, those employees are not coming to work. Uh, Mark, can uh, I ask you about sure. attendance? Because as we're hearing from health officials, if they feel ill, you need to stay home. But people also need a paycheck. So what are you telling managers, bosses, where they're also worried about uh, their bottom line, trying to get the work done? But if uh, an employee, are they going to get paid if they stay home for 10, 14 days? Well, and that's part of the business continuity plan. Companies need to take out their paid time off policies, their absence policies, and look at them with a broader perspective. Uh, We're recommending that that companies become more flexible than they have in the past with attendance issues. 
examine you know productivity expectations, things like that. Um, in, in many cases, companies do have paid time off benefits mm-hmm. that are available for employees. Uh, we're suggesting, and, and it's it's easy for me to spend companies' money, mm-hmm. and I and I do and I suggest this cautiously. Uh, but we are suggesting that companies uh, become a bit more liberal to the extent that they can with respect to paid time off, because uh, otherwise they'll have employees trying to hide their symptoms and coming to work because they desperately need that paycheck. Uh, if instead uh, there's some arrangements that can be made for employees to remain at home and still receive some compensation. Employees will be uh, more more willing to um, keep uh, health status as a higher priority than, than earning a paycheck. Remote work arrangements is another uh, strategy for dealing with that. Uh, Many times, you know, managers think if I if I can't reach out and touch the person and see what they're doing, how do I know they're working? Um, and and many tasks can be performed from a remote location, and uh, that that's been an arrangement uh, addressed through weather interruptions at times and and things like that. And so, uh, companies should be a bit more aggressive and uh, imaginative, and discuss with employees. Uh, what tasks they may be able to perform at home to keep operations going and also to justify the pay uh, that, that they'll be providing to someone. Uh, Mark, you mentioned a website that has, uh, again, advice for employers. Uh, where can they go to, to, to read more about your advice to them? Well, the, the easiest address is cbia.com. Uh, and, and we've got a lead story there on an employer's guide for dealing with coronavirus. We don't have all the answers. What we try to do is aggregate some of the better sources for mm-hmm. that. Uh, we've got links in there to some of those organizations I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have links to uh, some checklists for uh, developing the business continuity plan uh, and, and things along those lines. Uh, other issues are uh, dealing with respiratory etiquette in the workplace, uh, hand, facial uh, electronic device hygiene, social distancing, um, increasing cleaning uh, within the, the facility, and then a whole host of employee relations issues, um, inc- including uh, considering em- employees' stress levels and mental health status, uh, because there are a lot of folks that are running around getting increased stress mm-hmm. from this, or if they're working remotely, uh, social distancing, working from uh, a remote location, not having that camaraderie from day to day, uh, can have its own uh, impact on, on people's frame of mind. Well, I want to thank Mark Socher again for joining us, Human Resource Council for Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Mark, thank you for joining us today on Where We Live. Thank you, Lucy. I wanted to go back to my in-studio guest, Dr. Ajit Kumar, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. We just have a couple of minutes left. We're hearing, again, good advice from from Mark that employers need to be flexible with sick time. Um, If there's ways to have people work remotely, uh, they should. But we have to also be realistic. There are people that are probably listening that don't have those benefits. And if they don't show up for work, they're not going to have a job. And does that concern you as a health professional that people People may not be able to stay home if they're feeling ill. Lucy, I, I just want to compliment Mark. Actually, you went through a lot of comprehensive set of guidelines and advice for everybody. And we as a heart for healthcare with 30,000 employees and, um, and healthcare providers um, in the in, in, in state here, we take it very seriously. We need to be available for our community and make sure we support everybody. Um, we have been um, um, uh, advising our uh, colleagues across the heart for healthcare that um, our, our need is in the, ho- in, the, in, the, in the workplace right now. We need to support our community and be ready for whatever uh, might come. Um, so we've been very careful about travel policies and making sure that we respect 
employees' um, 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 wishes about how they're managing themselves, whether they're working from home or are they able to work from home and they're following the guidelines. However, um, because we have a different responsibility as a healthcare mm-hmm. institution to be ready for the state of Connecticut, uh, we have actually created a travel policy which actually bans all the non-essential travels to international destinations at this time. And we think this is important to um, to be ready for the community here. Uh, just a couple of minutes left. Um, we're going to be hearing more, hopefully, from uh, the state of Connecticut officials about uh, numbers to call for more information. There is a, a state website, I let our listeners know, ct.gov slash coronavirus. They can also go to the CDC website for more up-to-date information. But what about Hartford HealthCare? Yes, uh, Lucy, Hartford HealthCare actually has a very um, um, uh, latest, uh, w- good website, which is which is regularly updated with all the latest information. And we, we hope to provide more community support as as we go forward. Next week, uh, we, we we are looking at the process to to be more proactive to uh, connect with the community, and um, uh, we are still uh, in the final uh, uh, process of uh, finalizing those details at this time. So stay tuned. I'll encourage all listeners to visit our website regularly and get the information. And today at ctpublic.org slash coronavirus, uh, some of the information you've heard on where we live uh, will be compiled there as well as up-to-date information from the Connecticut Public Radio newsroom. I want to thank again Dr. Ajay Kumar for coming in today, Chief Clinical Officer at Hartford HealthCare. Uh, Again, there's so much that is still unknown about coronavirus, but the important thing is this is to spread facts, not fear. We thank you for your expert advice for our listeners. Thank you, Lucy. Today's show uh, produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff, who was screening calls. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.